Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Hi, this is Bob Varsha from Speed, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and we are live in downtown Clearwater. Hey, run to your computers and flip on Nostalgic Radio and Cars by going and Googling Tantalk1340.com and or just uh, turn your radio on, WTAN AM 1340 here locally. Hey, we got a great show for you tonight. I am your host, Robert. Boy, we got a great event going on this weekend in our own backyard. We have the St. Pete Grand Prix going on. I've got a great guest for you tonight. As a matter of fact, I have two guests for you tonight. And uh, the one will be on the phone here very shortly, and we'll have another guest on later. So we've got some two interesting people. We've got a couple good songs. We've got a clip or two. And I'll bring you guys up to speed as to, as is to... As is that 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 you know I stumble over my words once in a while, but at any rate, as is as what is going as to what is going on this weekend. Anyway, I think we have our guest on. Okay, well, hey, it gives me great pleasure to introduce the vice president and general manager of the Honda St. Pete Grand Prix, Tim Ramsberger. Tim, are you there? I am. Thanks for having me on. Hey, great. I'm glad you you could take the time. I know you're real busy and you got a lot of things going on this weekend. So bring us up to speed this week uh, about what's going on this weekend and what people can expect to. Uh, to do this weekend at the uh, St. Pete Grand Prix, the fastest spring break in the world. The fastest spring break party. We, we've got a lot of adrenaline building already. Uh, we have an unprecedented historic weekend ahead of us. Uh, it's going to be 10 races involving six series. We're obviously featuring IndyCar on Sunday, uh, but new to us this year will be the Ferrari Challenge. Uh, two races, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. They'll bring about 32 cars and over 350 guests in a, in a car display of about 50 Ferraris in a car corral. We got World Challenge, uh, sports cars, and the entire Road to Indy uh, Ladder Series with USF 2000, uh, Star Mazda, and Indy Lights. So if you're an open-wheel fan or a sports car fan, we've got it all for you. 
Wow, that's super. Hey, what other special uh, guests are going to be here? Anybody, any real big name personalities that people can kind of scout around for? You know, because people always like to meet some interesting people there at the, sh- at the event. So, who's going? Yeah, to- Jack. We know Jack Wagner and Anna Trez Trade Busana is the dance partner at Dancing with the Stars. So oh, they're really? going to be our our co grand marshals, and we'll have Clay Aikens here to do the national anthem. And of course, you know, you got David Letterman as a team owner. He may show up, and Patrick Dempsey. So. Never know who you might run into. That's super. So, what other type functions are going to be going on? Are there going to be any bands or any type of entertainment too, as well? Yeah, we've got so much racing on the weekend that uh, we don't have any concerts this year. We don't have any drifting or air shows. We've got just pure racing. But we do start tomorrow night with an illuminated night parade, which is on the streets of St. Petersburg along Beach Drive, and it'll feature over twenty racers from the, from the different series that'll be here, and including a fireworks display at nine o'clock. And then on Friday night, after the track goes cold at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a 5K run. So anybody that's interested, you can go on our website at gpstampede.com and sign up and actually run on the track. Oh, really? You mean physically run? Physically run. Okay. Well, now, you know, typically, a lot of people don't know this, but race car drivers, I know because I've gone to racing school and I've done some racing in my day, but typically what a lot of racers do is they actually walk the course before the race just to kind of get a feel for it, you know, look at, look at the imperfections or, you know, the curvature of the road sometimes and, you know, the uh, some of the angles, some of the uh, noticeable areas or, you know, conspicuous areas of a racetrack just so they have a kind of a feel for it. But sometimes when you put a real set of eyeballs on it, you can only do that when you're when you're walking it because when you're going at speed, sometimes uh, you don't notice it until it's too late. So that's yeah, we actually uh, have two track walks tomorrow for the drivers. We have one in the morning and one in the evening. And, yeah, it, it is a, a critical part of their planning process to go out there. They, they take their engineers with them. They'll take crew members, and uh, they'll study the track. I'll tell you one guy in particular who is just meticulous is Dario Franchitti. And it's uh, by no accident that he's a defending champion because he, uh, he will study this track, and he'll, he'll, he'll come to me and say, you've changed this or changed that, and he'll be spot on with all his uh, comments. Now, is the track configuration pretty much the way it was last year? It is the same layout track uh, this year. We haven't changed it uh, since uh, year one. We've added a couple of new verge curves, uh, some permanent structures around turns four, five, six, and ten and two. But uh, the layout is the same. Uh, the competitors all love driving here. I asked Michael Andretti years ago if uh, how he would compare it to Monaco, and he said, you know, Monaco is a great track to drive, not a good track to race. St. Pete is a good track for both. So the competitors love it. A lot of passing opportunities. So uh, I think it's going to be a wide-open uh, field going into the IndyCar race on Sunday. Super. Now, the you, you, you mentioned the Ferrari Challenge. How many cars are going to be in that field? I think it's going to be between 30 and 32 cars. Wow. And uh, they loaded in today, and i got to tell you, it's going to be exciting to see these things run. They uh, raced last summer in July up at our sister race in Toronto, and they put on a tremendous show. Now, is this going to be the new Ferrari 458s in the World Challenge, or which models are they going to be driving? In the World Challenge, I don't know. Okay. We'll see about that. Um, and I do think it's the new models coming out of the Ferrari Challenge. Okay. And then the SCCA event, uh, what all's, how many cars in that field, and how many, how, many different, how many classes are there going to be? Do you know offhand? I understand there's going to be four classes. And, again, you can check out their website for that. But my uh, latest information today was 52 cars. Okay. Is Shea so that's Holt- going to be tremendous. Is uh, Shea Holbrook going to be competing? She's kind of like the Florida darling here at SCCA. 
Shay Holbrook will be competing. Competing. She's going to be sponsored by True Car. Okay. And she, they are also sponsoring Shannon McIntosh and Catherine Legg. So True Car is coming out with uh, all the female drivers in each of the series. That uh, it's a great program and uh, should be exciting for those guys. Super. Now, how long have you been involved with the uh, Saint, the Honda St. Pete Grand Prix? I've been here from the beginning. Really? Okay. So back in 2004, Barry Green hired me, and uh, we put together the first year's race in about a five-month span, and, uh, and here we are eight months or eight years later, and uh, bigger than better than ever. Now, what's the future for the, the Honda St. Pete uh, Grand Prix? Is it going, is, I mean, are, are, are our fans going to have uh, – uh, can we expect to, to, to participate and, and spectate this uh, venue for the next uh, three to five years at least? Well, I certainly hope so. Okay. Uh, Supported for me and my family. <laughs> the, I okay. think this, the city loves it. We have a great partnership, Mayor Foster and the city council um, and all the community leaders, uh, Pinellas County through uh, the efforts of D.T. Minnick at Visit St. Pete Clearwater. The community, I think, really appreciates what this event has become and what it means to the community uh, we're going to be broadcast live uh, on ABC on Sunday with the IndyCar race. So that's a three-hour live commercial on uh, not only domestic national TV but international TV. The Indy Lights race will be live on NBC Sports on Saturday. Then the World Challenge is going to be taped delayed next week on NBC Sports. So four of the races are going to be broadcast. Great exposure for the community. And, and what could be better than to show off our beautiful waterfront? That's true. Now we have uh, the Penske team's going to be here, the Canassi team's going to be here, and the Andretti team are going to be here. So those are the three big names, right, that are going to be here? And those right- are powerhouses, but i got to tell you, with the new Delara, with the DW12, and with the new V6 engines, and it's the first time that in a long time that we've had, uh, in addition to Honda, we've had Chevy and Lotus uh, powering these cars, I think it's going to be a wide-open field. You've got a number of great drivers. Uh, they haven't had a great deal of time to get their setups right. So, uh, you know, you got Ruben Barrichello, who just came from F1. You got Sebastian Bourdais, who's a champ oh, car really? champion, F1 driver. This field, I think, is going to be wide open. It could be anybody's win this weekend. Oh, that's amazing. That's a, that's a heck of a field. That's some, that's some real big names in racing. Barrichello's over here from F1. I didn't know that. Barrichello just joined IndyCar, and he's going to be on Tony Canon's team. So you got a couple of Brazilians that'll be out there. And Canon, I think, you know, people have been asking me if it's not Dario. I think it very well could be Tony Kanon this weekend. But Marco's always strong here. He he still holds the uh, the the single lap, the fastest lap record here in St. Pete. So a lot a lot of drivers have the capability of taking the championship here this weekend. Wow. Now, unfortunately, we lost uh, our uh, our hometown favorite, Dan Weldon. Um, we talked earlier. What 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 are some of the 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 the, the things that they're going to do uh, to kind of commemorate uh, Dan Weldon? Yeah, you know, we lost a great champion, a good friend. Um, we lost a good uh, husband and a father. And uh, I think the drivers are going to carry with them, Dan, in their hearts as they, uh, as they take the, the, the green flags this, this weekend in the, in the IndyCar race. We're going to have Holly Weldon, Dan's sister, actually wave the green flag. So she'll be starting the IndyCar race, and she's going to be handing out the winner's trophy. So that's going to be a special uh, way to uh, include Dan's family in, in, the, in the tribute to him. We, uh, as you know, back on March 7th, dedicated Dan Weldon Way on the track, and uh, we'll have a monument erected in October uh, inside the track that will not only honor Dan but all our past winners. And we'll have a number of special tributes throughout the weekend. Um, we'll be playing a video in honor of Dan and, uh, and a couple of other things. We're going to be wearing uh, orange ribbons on our sleeves on the staff and volunteer shirts that were uh, there for his 
service back here in October in St. Pete. And those will be available. Uh, the Alzheimer's Association are going to be selling orange ribbons for those who those fans who want to buy a ribbon, wear it for Dan, and all the proceeds will go to Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's Association, which was uh, near and dear to Dan because of his mom's affliction with Alzheimer's. Wow. That's great. That's great. Uh, now, you have a couple of guys that work closely with you. Uh, Paul, is it Valancourt? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Paul Valancourt is with Torquay Communications out okay. of our Montreal office. Okay. Now, you said uh, the Montreal uh, organization is like a, it's a sister race up there. What's the name of that one again? It's the uh, Honda Indy Toronto. Okay. And that's uh, the Toronto race, and we also have the Mid-Ohio race. Oh, Mid-Ohio as well? Yes. Okay. Now, when when's Mid-Ohio and when's the Toronto race? Toronto's July and Mid-Ohio's in August. I don't have the exact dates. Okay. Well, that's super. Well, let's see. What else do you want to tell us? you got a couple. You got a minute or two. Anything else you want to uh, push, promote? Yeah, I got to tell you, it's an exciting weekend. Even if you're not a race fan, come out. we got plenty to do. we got the Bright House Speed Zone with a lot of interactive uh, uh, things to do for all the family, all the kids. We'll have the IndyCar Village. We'll have simulator rides, bounce houses, you name it. We also have uh, an 80-foot Ferris wheel on the track, which is just a tremendous ride for kids and adults because you can see the entire layout of the track. And, uh, again, for the second year in a row, we're going to have the Budweiser Clydesdale horses on site. So we're bringing real horsepower to this event. How about that? Now, if I was a, the first-timer, where would you recommend I go sit to get the best view of the, of the, of the race? Well, i got to tell you, you can't beat the grandstands because in the, the grandstands on the front straight, you get to see all the action in the pits. You've got large uh, video boards in front of you so you can see the entire racing action. And uh, we also have a grandstand at Turn 10, which is uh, where uh, which we've dedicated to Dan. And it looks out over the uh, Acura Yacht Club, which is back this year. And it's got a great opportunity there to see all the, uh, the, uh, the action coming down to Turn 10 off the of Bayshore Drive and heading out to the airport. But we have still, if you're not interested in sitting in the grandstand, a lot of general admission areas that are just tremendous. And you also have jumbotrons all over the place too, if I remember. We have a total of six jumbotrons that we bring in, and we also have two scoring towers that are brought to us this year by Frana uh, Production. So, uh, plenty of opportunity to, to to keep up with all the competition that's on the track throughout the entire site, no matter where you are. Well, that sounds great. All right, everybody, I want everybody to show up at the St. Pete Grand Prix. I will be walking around there. Tim, I want to thank you very much for coming on the air. Our guest this evening was the Vice President and General Manager of the Honda St. Pete Grand Prix. And everybody, be there. And visit our website, gpstpete.com. Okay, super. Hey, Tim, I'll see you hey. tomorrow at the luncheon, okay? We'll see you. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. 
located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. have always been an important part of my life. I started driving them on dirt tracks down in Texas. And after a while, I worked my way up to sport car driving. That was it for me. The sport car circuits with their constantly changing conditions off the challenge, the kicks I was after. Finally, the big win, Le Mans, 1959. And boy, I was sitting on top of the world. Shortly after that, I became a retired race driver and soon learned there's nothing lower than an X-Race driver unless it's a busted X-Race driver. About all I had was an idea. You might even call it a dream. It was to build a sport car that, first of all, more people could own and enjoy driving, and second, that could race under American colors and maybe pride the old established names a little bit. Having practically no capital, I started off. But it was a coincidence, really, that got us going. 
First, the AC car company in England badly needed a new engine. They produced a good basic chassis and body, but had no engine source. On the other hand, Ford Motor Company over here was just in the development stage of a promising new high-performance engine. Well, after a lot of talking, I got a hold of some bodies from the AC people, and Ford agreed to help me build a new sport car I call the Cobra. The rest is in the record books. The new Ford-powered Cobras beat just about everything in sight to win the U.S. Road Racing Championship in 1963. In 1964, we took our first crack at the World Road Racing Championship with a new coupe body of our own design and a race-proof Ford engine. We took our new Ford-powered Cobra across the pond. And for the first time in a long time, Europe saw American race cars winning. We didn't take the World's Championship the first year, but we sure gave Mr. Ferrari something to think about. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome my next guest to the radio show. This gentleman is a well-known automotive journalist. He's an automotive photographer and an author, and specifically a book that I think we're going to discuss this evening, and it's called Rare Finds. So uh, I would love to welcome to the show. It gives me great pleasure to say a big hello, and how you doing to Mr. Jerry Heasley. How you doing, Jerry? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Super. Thanks um, for coming. Yeah, rare finds. We really should have called it barn finds, I guess, to get the message across. But, you know, I started this column in Hot Rod's Mustang book back in about 1990. And um, actually, I had done a few of the barn find stories before that in Popular Hot Rodding. And they they caught on. We, we called them rare finds. Uh, Jerry Pitt was my editor at the time, and he thought that was a good title. I did, too. But, you know, at the time, people really weren't uh, into barn finds. And I I could tell you about my very first one. I think that's really super interesting. It's in my current book, too. Sure, tell us. Um, you know, I was at uh, a, a show, uh, the Cobra Show in Dallas in 1990, uh, or 1989, and... Um, while I was there, there was a big commotion. This old car came in on a trailer. It was a fastback 65 Mustang, and I thought, well, what's everybody all excited about? And it actually was 5R002, which to enthusiasts, that was the very first Shelby racing car made famous by Jerry Titus winning the uh, B Production National Championship. And after it served its usefulness uh, to, to Shelby American, they... It, it went down to Mexico, and this guy had dug it out of Mexico and brought it back on a trailer, and uh, so everybody was real excited, and I called my editor at Mustang Monthly, and I said, hey, uh, we need to do a feature on this car, and, and uh, I was down there doing features for Mustang Monthly, and um, my editor then was Tom Corcoran, and he said, oh, no, well, once it's restored, and I said, no, let's do it now. Oh, no, we don't want to show a beat-up old car. Because at the time, we were in kind of the restoration era when people wanted to see what stock looked like. And I wanted to do the car there as it sat, because if, if it drew so much interest from people to show, just think what it would do in the magazine. But they wouldn't let me. They said, no, that's not a good idea. And um, uh, later, um, Jerry Pitt saw the worth in that idea, and we started. He was the editor of, the, of Hot Rod's Mustang book. And um, so we started a column in there called Rare Finds. And uh, now one we had of the first we had cars was was this car. 
I had uh, Tom Cotter on the show here about a year ago. Now, Tom's book is what? Is his Barn Finds? What's yes, the... he used the name Barn Finds, okay. uh, and then he'll he'll have uh, Hemi in a barn, Cobra in a barn, Okay, and um, kind of leave it off like that. I know Tom very well. In fact, he has uh, several 289 Cobras. I have, I have a 289 Cobra myself that was Carroll Shelby's automatic car in 65, 6, and 7. It's a beautiful silver with red interior roadster. And uh, just got back, in fact, from the 50th anniversary uh, Shelby Bash in uh, in Las Vegas. And that's celebrating 50 years of Shelby American vehicles. And, you know, we're going to have another celebration in Pomona next month. And I'll be at that little get-together, which probably include a lot more older cars the Las Vegas Bash had more of the late model Shelbys, the GT500s. It had some old cars, too, but mostly Team Shelby members, and it was a huge turnout and uh, just a a really fun affair. We we did road racing for a couple of days, had a car show, um, you know, banquet out at the factory underneath a white tent. It was just, it was great. Um, when you how how when did how did you get started in all this stuff? Because you you've been around for a while, and I've seen, met you and talked to you at a few of the shows and events and stuff like that. But you've been doing this for what about twenty five thirty years now? Uh, thirty three years now. Okay. Um, when I got out of college, uh, I decided uh, I wanted to do something, have a career is what I called it. And <laughs> I remember well, I, I love comedians, and I, I had tried to write some stand up comedy or. Uh, write write comedy for TV shows and things like that. I tried all sorts of things, and uh, but I did like cars. And I remember um, what Flip Wilson said one time. He said when he got out of the army, he decided he'd take a chance on himself instead of go to work for somebody. And I thought I like that. I'm going to take a chance on myself. So I did. I thought I'd start writing magazine articles and and books and things and i i wrote i wrote a couple of car books and then decided those didn't make much money so um, i was pumping gas at a service station and i started writing magazine articles after those books the editors wanted me to write magazine articles but um let me just tell you it was a really um uh, interesting time and and when i started about 1980 because what was happening then was you know, we had magazines like Motor Trend and Hot Rod that were general. And about 1980, uh, the market started breaking up uh, into specific books like Mustang Monthly, you know, and Super Chevy and Muscle Cars in New York. And so there was this explosion of, of car titles on the newsstands, mainly devoted to older cars and performance cars because. In the 80s, performance was dead through the 70s and the 80s, and this is where the enthusiasts were going. So I started working for all these magazines, and they used to say, well, how can you be an auto journalist? You live in Texas. Well, there was nobody else here working for car magazines, and all these cars were scattered all over the country. So I started traveling, and and um, I've to date, I've written over 7,000 magazine articles on cars. 7,000? Yeah, over 7,000. That's a lot. I really don't think anybody in the niche here of, of automotive journalism has, has written over 7,000 and photographed uh, over 7,000 magazine articles in 30-some 30, 30 years. 
but um, I just was working for everybody. At one time, I had nine columns I was writing on, on cars. And now, um, now, when you wrote nine columns, for example, let's say you're writing for nine different pub- publications, were they similar, or they, did you have to kind of edit each one differently, or were they similar? Oh, they were all different. Okay. I wrote a column for Muscle Cars magazine called Collecting, but the same publisher had a had a, a high performance Pontiac, and I wrote a column for them. I had high performance Mopar. They had Vet magazine, and I wrote for them. So, um, they were all different. So uh, it sounds like that your, your that your automotive background has got to be fairly extensive. Then, I mean, what's your specialty? You're a Ford guy, pretty much, right? Like me. Well, I'll just tell you that the truth is that I'm a writer first. Uh, okay. And and I'm a, I'm an enthusiast second. I mean, um, you know, it's very difficult to, if you to just to to write from your your knowledge base. What I write from is research. Okay. And I learned a long time ago. You know, I had been working for the National Enquirer as a stringer for a couple of years when I started doing the car stuff, and they taught me a lot. You know, they brought in their tops top freelancers. I remember being in uh, Lantana, Florida one week and working there for Paul Levy. What a great guy, you know. And Everybody knocks the National Enquirer, but <laughs> under that leadership, let me tell you, that was a great, uh, that was a great publication, and uh, nobody ever treated me better than the National Enquirer as a freelancer. What is the word? I've always been freelance. What does the term stringer mean? I'm not familiar with that. That just means that you're basically freelance okay them. you you um stringer means you 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 submit ideas and okay you know i remember i was listening to johnny carson one night i love johnny carson and and he said uh, well there was a poll in the national choir um on who knew who the vice president was and only like 20 percent of the people knew who the vice president was At that time it was george bush the first you know mm-hmm. or george w Okay. And I went, oh, that's my, uh, that was my idea that I told uh, Paul. We, I said, I've noticed that nobody knows who the vice president is. And so that was a poll we did, and, and by golly, uh, it made it into the magazine. I didn't write it, but they would pay you just for ideas. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, they, <clears throat> at that time they paid you for ideas. They paid you for, if you got the, uh, uh, the uh, article you wrote, Say if it was a cover story, if it was on the inside back cover, you got a bonus. Uh-huh. They were really good for people like me who are freelance, and there are very few of us that make a living full time freelance because it's a very uh, tough uh, demand. You know, with uh, like you say, having to write so many different things. But I depend upon my resources. The National Choir taught me to record all my conversations and how to do it and transcribe things. Of course, I have a degree in English and, uh, well, minor in English. I have a, I have a degree in physics and math, and and uh, so college taught me a lot. I was a good writer in college, and I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And a lot of people do think they want to be writers, you know, full-time, and uh, it's not so easy, and it's getting harder because the, those same magazines that I started working for that were segmenting and were were proliferating are now dying out. So with the internet and with with the changes in the market, so I'm trying right now to move into video, and um, I'm going to be on. Um, let's see, 
uh, with Courtney Hansen on Power Block in a few weeks, and I'm going to talk about rare finds that we we all want to talk about. I uh, I think that right now I'm just talking about the life of a freelancer, which has been very adventurous over the years. I mean, in 2010, I spent 191 ho- nights in hotels. So, you know, it's it's uh, there's I've been overseas. I've done all kinds of things in, in the automotive world, uh, and always as an independent journalist and photographer. Now, now do you do uh, a lot? I know you do mostly domestics and stuff like that. But how about foreign cars? I mean, have you had any real experience with some unusual, let's say, rare find uh, Ferraris or Heelys or Jags or Porsches or old racing cars? Oh, I have, I have, and right now I, I have a really exciting one that I'm just looking into. Um, but uh, it's it's a super cheetah, and I'm looking at writing that story. But my editor at Muscle Car Review, he's saying, well, I don't know if people would know that. It does have a big block, so we don't know if we want to run it in the magazine. I think we should, but we're making that decision. But, yeah, I've done Ferraris, anything. Uh, we had a Ferrari. We have a Ferrari in the current book that's uh, on Amazon there, you know, if you don't mind the plug. No, go ahead. If you, if you go, go to Amazon and just punch in rare finds and, You'll see my book pop, pop up, Rare Finds by Jerry Heasley, and there's a 70-model Superbird um, in, a, in a garage sitting there with stuff piled all over it. That's how I like my Rare Finds. I like pictures as they're found with what I call the car archaeology strewn all over it and don't touch it. But we have a Ferrari in there, and one of the most interesting Rare Finds ever was the the 55 Ferrari 750 Monza Spider that my friend Rick Grape found um, in Azel, outside Azel, Texas. And uh, Rick, in fact, just passed away a couple of weeks ago. He's a very good friend of mine, and he was into Mopars and muscle cars. And One day he asked, he told a friend of his, he said, you know, I'm tired of restoring this muscle car. I've always wanted a Ferrari. A 50s or 60s cars. This was back in about 94, he told his friend this. And his friend said, well, you know, I used to uh, work for a lady on her farm, and uh, she had horses. I kept care of the horses, and there was a Ferrari out there. Oh, really? Well, that was a long time ago. It might not be there. Rick said, well, can we go look? So he said, well, I don't know if I can find the place, but we'll, we'll go out. So he we went out in the country, and he drove around, I think Rick said, about four hours. He said, I called my wife and said, I, I, I'm not going to be home for a while. We're, we're looking for this car. And they finally pulled up to this place, and it had one of those speakers that you pressed. And and they and sure enough, this was the place. And and they wanted to know if that car was still there. And the lady said, yeah, it's still out there in the, in the pasture. Well, can we come look at it? And she said, come on in. So they went out and looked at it. There was a Studebaker Avante sitting there. And right around the corner from it was this 55 Ferrari. And a guy had evidently uh, worked for the phone company, had taken the car uh, to college back in about the early 60s. Of course, he'd pulled out the, the uh, 7.5-liter four-cylinder Ferrari engine, replaced it with a small-block Chevy. That's what they did in those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the car had been sitting there. Of course, you know, it's prone to rust, but the car I really don't understand. Uh, aluminum doesn't really rust, but it does corrode. I don't know what the difference is, but the, the corrosion, the, the metal turns white. So it was in pretty poor condition, and, and the drivetrain was gone. Uh, 
So Rick got the car. He bought the car at a very reasonable price and uh, took it home. He was determined to restore it. But after a couple of years, he realized he just uh, he was a fairly wealthy guy. But this restoring these kind of cars takes maybe several million dollars because uh, I heard that they did have to pay seven hundred and fifty thousand to get an original engine. It happened to be the the engine that came out of this car. It was found on the Isle of Wight. So these stories really lead you on a merry chase. You know, I can tell you, I have done hundreds of these stories. It's been my passion since about 1990 from that first Shelby. I mean, after that Shelby, I asked my good buddy Pete Pastere, who was then editor of Popular Hot Rod, and I and I told him about this this rare finds I wanted to do, and I was going to be in El Paso working for him at MSD. Uh, that's where MSD's factory is, and I would go down there and do tech articles for Pop Your Hot Rodding. And I had a friend down there who had uh, he, he made a career of finding old cars in barns, and he knew where some cars were. And he said, I'll take you to them. And one of them was a '69 Boss 429 Mustang that was in Juarez and being used as a doghouse. Now, those cars are worth six figures, and even in 1990, they were worth a lot of money. We went down there and saw that, took pictures of that, took pictures of lots of Shelbys in, in uh, backyards and all kinds of muscle cars. They were a lot easier to find in 1990 than they are today. But we just, we just had a great time, and, and uh, later, I've done lots of rare finds with, with Michael down there, and he, he told me. One day he called me up, and, he, and this is another card that's in the book that is just absolutely uh, one of the most amazing stories of rare finds. Michael calls me up, and he said, You know, Jerry, I found Ed Ross Orbitron in Juarez. It was sitting on a sidewalk outside an adult bookstore. Now, when you say Juarez, we're talking Juarez, Mexico, across Juarez, from El Paso, Juarez, right? Juarez, Mexico. That's now, amazing. Now, this was uh, like uh, he found this car about five years ago there, four or five years ago. And at the time, it was somewhat safe. You just don't want to go into war as now. They just have the the gun, the gunfire. Michael said, you know, you could be walked across the street and get hit by stray gunfire. And on a weekend, there maybe 43 people die or something from the drug cartels with their with their little, you know, battles going on. Mm-hmm. But at the time, he found this car in Juarez, what happened was he has this little, uh, what he calls spotters over there that he gives lead. he'll give them um, um, some money if they find a car that he'll buy. So a guy called him and he said, man, I, I, I found this old, old Pontiac or something and Michael wasn't interested in it. And then he, you know, he gives them a disposable camera, they take pictures of it, and he gives them this camera and, and uh, um, on, the, on the pictures was a picture of Orbitron. Now, I don't know if people know Orbitron. You could look in my book, but it's, it's a multi-million dollar car today. Yeah, it's a custom car built by Ed, uh, Big Daddy Ed Roth. Yeah, they're, they're really considered like a bubble top car now, and they're worth in the millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. But he finds this car. He saw the picture of it, and he thought, oh, that's that car. That's Orbitron. Now, you would have to really be an expert to know that was Orbitron, because the top was gone, the bubble top was gone, and the headlights and everything like that. But uh, he could back it out. So he went down there to see the car. And the guy wouldn't sell it. He said his uncle had built it. It was nostalgia to him. And so he just kept pestering. 
And I said, you know, Michael, this would be, I don't know how you get these cars because, you know, I think all of us have seen an old car somewhere, and you go and you try and ask the owner, will you sell this thing? And they always say no. That's the reason it's been there for years. They just won't sell. But there's certain people that know how to make a buy. They know how to talk to people so that they'll get the car. And Michael's one of those people. He's such a, he's, he's got such a kind demeanor. And he's not pushy, but uh, managed to hey, Jerry, work the car, okay? You're breaking up a little bit. Are you, like, on a portable phone or something like that? Because you're kind of breaking up a little bit. You're coming in and out. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I am, but I'll get back to the base here, and it'll, okay. it'll be a lot better. Okay, thank you. Yeah, but anyway, um, Michael did manage to buy this, this car, Orbitron, from this, from this fellow, brought it back. Instead of restoring it, he... He sold it to Galpin Ford, and they restored it, okay. and it's out in their collection. But, um, you know, I did a big big story on it for Hot Rod Magazine because Michael said, I'm going to give you this story. You're my friend. Every magazine in the country wants a story on it, but it's your story. So I did it for Hot Rod. And that's just, you know, I've got 30 of my best stories ever over over 20-some years in this Rare Finds book. And I, maybe I can sell you know, half a dozen copies there. <laughs> now, super, hopefully. Hey, well, let me ask you a question. Now, is Rare Finds, is there like a revised version? Is there like, you know, book version one, book, ver- book version two or three, or is this or is it just the one book out so far? Well, it's one book so far, but I already I have just completed book two, okay. and, and that will be all Mustang and Fords, because the other book is all marks. And, you know, it the subtitle says, you know, Discovering Muscle Car Treasures, but Really, you know, Ferrari is not really a muscle car. It it has all sorts of cars, and Orbitron's not a muscle car. The, primarily, we're talking about muscle cars here because, you know, like finding a Superbird. I have a Cobra in there that had been a uh, uh, 289 Cobra that a guy had parked in, in a garage he specially built to, to hide this vehicle. And uh, I've got lots of rare finds that are that are coming up. I did a... I did a uh, Rare Finds TV pilot with some people in Los Angeles, and uh, well, we pulled some cars out of a barn, and I narrated that. We're just looking for you know somebody to buy it, buy the show, which I guess everybody's trying to do TV shows. But you know, you wonder where the market's going because you know with with print kind of going out. I mean, here's radio uh, that we're doing here. You know, uh, where is it going? And and I kind of would like to to be where it's going if if print's going uh, a little bit south. Well, let me, I mean, let's let's talk about that just for a second because you know I, I'm old school, you know, like a lot of guys like yourself too, and I prefer to pick up a book and read a book or pick up a magazine. I'm not real keen. I, the only thing I like about the internet is the fact that you've got a vast amount of information out there that you can obtain. But it really, it's kind of nice just to have it in a book too. So. But, and I've heard this from a number of people now. They say that print is basically going out, and Internet is basically coming in, and it's coming in you know, exponentially. I mean, is that your, your feeling as well? Well, if you, for example, let's say you have a car, and you, you've always dreamed of having a, your car featured in a magazine. Mm-hmm. You don't get that sense of satisfaction with it on, online in the Internet because you don't know how many people are reading it. There's no right. title to it. You can't open it up. You can't carry it around and show it to your friends. Exactly. So that's still with us. I don't think it's ever going away. But, uh, you know, with information, I think you're exactly right. 
uh, everybody wants to punch in their computer. Uh, well, how many horsepower was there to to uh, a hypo engine or something? Or what was, you know, I think that's where it's moving. But I don't think that, uh, for example, a spread, a nice uh, spread of beautiful pictures of a car uh, are going to make it uh, compared to picking up a magazine, you know. Exactly. But I think we're always going to have print with us, but things just keep changing. And, and uh, you know, it's almost like the rare finds. I mean, I have some stunning rare finds to go to right now. I have a 67 Shelby. It, it, this, is almost, this is one of the one of the most unbelievable stories that I've ever heard because the car, you know, was sitting in a real barn on a, in a rural location, and the barn fell down around the Shelby. And they have left everything there for me, and I need to go and shoot video of that in addition to just static pictures. I'm going to shoot video and everything on that car, and, and we're waiting on everything to get finalized to do that. And, and uh, I mean, that's something that, you know, static print just can't bring to you. Uh, I mean, we've got digital cameras now that can do video, and I think that a lot of the magazines uh, maybe pick pick up a magazine on a newsstand, and then they'll have links, and you can go there and see more. You can see some video of what you saw. So I hope that they can coexist with one another. Well, now, I agree. The Internet, and I'll tell you what I use a lot, is because, it, just like you said, because I've been writing recently, doing some articles for uh, Sports Car Market. I've just been doing some summaries, auction summaries, and some uh, auction analysis reports, mm-hmm. and only because they, somebody threw my name in the hat, and I said, well, that sounds like fun. I'll try it. You know, just another kind of credential, so to speak. But I use the Internet for research because it's spontaneous, and I don't have to go to a library, and I don't have to go everywhere to do it. But in the final analysis... Uh, the the end result is the article will be in a in a, in, a, in a magazine which is nicely presented and hosted and everything like that and it's a well known magazine it's sports car market and uh, it's very colorful good pictures nice articles and it's just nice to just be able to pick up a magazine and read it just no different than your book um, so yeah I I kind of agree with you there that you know they they need to coexist somehow let's go back to tell us tell us some more stories some good stories about some cars because we want to hear about some of these barn finds you don't have to reveal how you found out about them just tell us a few stories and then uh, get us get us going on it okay well um, I think uh, uh, there are certain stories that fit in a mold like. Uh, the Vietnam veteran who, or the, or the kid, I should say, the kid in Vietnam didn't, didn't come home. And he didn't come home, and, and then the parents just couldn't sell the car because he didn't make it. You know, I've got one of those in the book, and, you know, I, I just, you, you know, you just wonder if you should print these sometimes because they're so sad. Mm-hmm. But the car's sitting there. I had a guy in Long Island get a call. Uh, a lady called their car club. And she said she had a car she needed to sell. Well, that's one benefit of being in a car club. So this guy goes out from the Mopar Club there in Long Island, and they open up the garage door, and there's a 69 Roadrunner sitting on four flat tires, leaves all over it. It's been there since, you know, like 1969 or 70, along in that era. 
And uh, the lady said, well, my husband died. I'm moving out of here. I have to do something with it. So she sold it. And I wonder how many of those cars are around because I've got a couple of, of rare find stories coming up just like that. Um, I just did one for the uh, for the next book uh, that was, and I've lately I've started interviewing not just the person that found it, but I'm interviewing the person who owned the car originally if they're still alive, or I wish I could have interviewed that lady. You know, he couldn't get me her contact info. She was gone. But there are quite a few of those stories around, you know, with uh, the guy didn't return from the war. Um, I have um, uh, just a ton of, of, of leads on, on, that, on those cars. What's because, the most? What's the most? You know, uh, what happened is a lot of these guys in Vietnam, see, they were in a combat zone, and they did not have the opportunity to spend their money. And they didn't have any, you know, and they also got combat pay. And and they saved their money, and when they got back, they bought cars. I would like anybody who has a story like this because uh, to email me, and it's just Jerry Heasley at Gmail. Now, my last name's kind of hard to spell because it's H-E-A-S-L-E-Y. It's not E-A-S-L-E-Y, but it's H. You can see it at my Rare Finds book, but Jerry Heasley at gmail.com. If they know any stories like this, because... I've thought about doing this, and I'll get your opinion on it. But, you know, I've seen some of these older pictures, like from the 60s, when the car was new and the person had the car. Some people have some neat pictures of the cars. Like, I've got a 60, I'm doing a rare find on a 69 Shelby GT500, and uh, the guy that found it said, oh, the owner, was the original owner, he has a bunch of pictures of the car at Woodstock. And I said, oh, wow, that would be neat. Well, can we get those? Because how great would it be to now to look back and look at a 69 Shelby, and it's at Woodstock, you know, 69 in, in mm-hmm. New York. So I'm kind of branching out here. I'm trying to put some of these older pictures in the book, in the next book. I have some in this one, like of a, of a Copo uh, Camaro. I can tell you lots of these stories. I mean, um, let's just, I mean, what do you want, a Ford, a Chevy? Um, or anything. Um, I love the, the Ferrari story. I have a, in this book, I have a Corvette that was uh, a 69 L88 race car. And the car, the guy found it in the junkyard. I mean, it's almost unbelievable. And But you think there's there's nothing left in junkyards. You go out there and find a guy finds a Corvette race car in a junkyard. This is recently? Well, now this was going to be probably going back about 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, but that's fairly recent in our, you know, 15 years ago. You wouldn't have thought that. But I mean, that doesn't mean there's none here. And I'll tell you, um, I could tell you one of the most interesting uh, rare finds ever. Okay, go ahead. Was, go ahead, tell us. We're, we're, I'm, I'm waiting for the juicy stuff. Come yeah, on, Jerry. Ed, Ed <laughs> Meyer. Ed Meyer. Oh, I know Ed. The guy yeah. knows everything about Boss 429s. Yep. They only built two Boss 429 Cougars. Uh-huh. Ed was determined to find one of these. And, you know, he tracked this car down. This is the longest chapter in the book because he found the car in four different pieces in three different states. He, he first found the front end, which had, the car had been cut up, and then he found the, uh, the back end, and he found the, he found the body somewhere else. 
And the car had actually been stolen at one time. The body had been stolen. There's no title on these cars. He had to buy the car twice. He bought it from the guy who really owned it, and then he bought it from the guy that stole it. But we left that out of the... We, we were the ones <laughs> they stole it. But uh, to follow this story is incredible. And, you know, you talk about the Internet, so you're not going to see this story on the Internet. Because, you know, I, I think the Internet is almost like a virus sometimes. It promulgates all kinds of, of mistruths and, and inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. And anybody can, anybody can write this stuff. But, I mean, I transcribe these recordings from people and... Sometimes in the, I'll have 40,000 words transcribed to get at the truth and, and to do these, these features. Uh, but Ed's story is, is uh, one of the most interesting I've ever run across. I mean, uh, it took him, you know, many months to track this car down in its different pieces and put it back together. Did he get the Eddie Sharpman car, or which Cougar did he get? Um, he, got, uh, he got the, um, uh, let me just look here, it was the, let's see, there were two of them. He got the... Uh, the, the match racer uh, camera okay. uh, that they put the camera in, and that was, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember, Don Nicholson, yeah. Oh, he bought Nicholson's, Nicholson's car. Okay. But Nicholson, actually, when he got the car, he was old school, and he did not like the Boss 429. He put a camera in it, and it was in CarCraft. Uh, so they thought, they didn't know it was the original Boss 429 Cougar. They thought it was Nicholson's old camera car. That's the reason they even <clears throat> sold it and cut it up. But those old school guys, let me tell you something. Now, they think a camera stronger than a Boss 429. They're wrong because a Boss 429 is stronger than a camera. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, if uh, people are listening, mm-hmm. you know, I did Ohio Georgia's uh, car, Bob Perkins bought. That's that's a, a, an interesting rare find in itself. The guy kept it in a bubble uh, from when it was raced, so it was it was perfect. Another car in here I think people like that they're into Fords. I have a 69 Boss, Boss 302, 196 miles on it. Wow. The guy bought it to race. Uh, he passed away shortly after he started racing it and um, put it, and it was in the garage, and, and his wife just couldn't sell it, and she, she left it sit there and actually um, closed the garage door and put potted plants in front of the garage door. It didn't look like a garage anymore. Um, I've got the Hearst Olds drag car in here that, that with pictures of it behind a, uh, a shed with, with um, trees growing all around it. I mean, you know, it's amazing that people just leave, leave these cars sit. But if you go back to those days, I mean, the cars were not that collectible, not that valuable, you know. Um, Jerry, we got about two minutes left. Do you want to give yourself a plug real quick and then maybe one quick story? Yeah, yeah. Make okay. sure you go to you know, look at Rare Finds on Amazon. That, that, that way you can get it cheap, you know. They're thirty dollars books. I think they're seven, nineteen bucks or something on there. Nineteen seventy seven to be exact. Nineteen seventy seven, yeah, yeah, that's right. That? You've okay. been there, but it's just go rare finds under books and it's Jerry Heasley and then uh but send me stories, you know, okay. and I'll put you in the magazine and maybe in another book. And maybe maybe if we could or somebody doesn't hear in T V they'll say, Hey yeah, this, this, we we want to see your show. We'll we'll produce it. I've you know, I'll, I'll make something work here. I okay. guarantee you that. Well, we could talk about that 428 Cobra Jet convertible Mustang that uh, I gave you the, the uh, build sheet or the uh, 
memo sheet on there when I saw you out in Scottsdale. But anyway, hey, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you for coming on the radio show. My guest this evening was Jerry Heasley, the author of Rare Finds. You can get the book on Amazon. Right now, it's $19.77. Other than that, if you buy it in a bookstore, it's 30 bucks. Jerry, thanks for coming on the radio oh. show. And uh, I'll be back in touch. we got about uh, two seconds left. Everybody, yep. uh, thanks for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Stay safe. Drive carefully. Love your family. Jerry, I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.